Hello and welcome back to Minds Matter. I guess now we're Minds Matter on Slim Radio, aren't we? Slim. It's exciting. <laughs> um, all right, so today um, we're going to be talking about maybe one of the topics that as listeners you kind of associate with psychology. Um, maybe when you think psychology, you think someone kind of lying down on a sofa and talking about their dreams to probably an old white man with glasses. Um, <laughs> that's how I would picture it. Um, but so today we're going to be talking um, about dreams. Probably going to get away from that idea, um, that image that I depicted for you guys pretty quickly, though. Um, and we're going to try to touch on a few topics here. So we're going to first talk about um, what we dream about, then why we dream. Um, so various theories about why we might dream. Um, we're also going to talk about how dreams affect your waking life rather than the other way around. So a lot of theories kind of focus on how our waking lives affect our dreams, but there is kind of research that shows the opposite. And we're also going to try to talk a little bit uh, about lucid dreaming, um, you know, the hype, the good, and the possibly the bad. Um, but let's first start talking about what we actually dream about. So just it happened that I actually had a dream about Ava <laughs> two, I think like two nights ago. So I guess because we were preparing for this. So a this is so Ava's learning how to dance. <laughs> I've been to like and three dance classes, by the way. Like COVID <laughs> shut down that dream very quickly. But, but for me, it's like Ava's just like dancing, expressing herself. Anyway, I had this dream that I actually was back in the Netherlands to see Ava. But she had a dance class, but the dance class had to be outside because of COVID. And it was on a basketball court, like this really like, so in the Netherlands, it's always gray. So there was just like a flat gray basketball court and then like all the sky was gray. But Ava was like dancing across it and she looked so beautiful. And there was this silhouette of her where she like sprung up into the air and her hair, I'm also gesturing this at the moment. Yeah, Beth was acting this out fully acting out. <laughs> um and there's this like silhouette of her and I, if I could draw I wish I could draw it to show her um anyway it really stuck with me it was a very I don't know the imagery was very beautiful seeing Ava and the idea that I could see her was really <laughs> nice <laughs> um but anyway when I had this dream I was excited um to tell to tell to tell the people. world the world <laughs> The world. Minds matter. Listeners. Also, I told my housemate. And you know what's funny is when you tell people a dream, it's really, really, really boring. Yeah, you probably and hated I, that. Yeah, you know, people probably switched off. Um, so why <laughs> is it that <laughs> – so sorry, everyone. Why is it that we find our dreams so interesting but um, – when, because I feel like when I listen to people's dreams, I why is it so boring? <laughs> I I actually kind of like listening to people's dreams, to be honest. Um, really? Yeah, I don't know why. I I was also looking into research about this, and like the 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 big researchers who do sleep research, they always complain about the fact that people will invariably, when they tell them that they're a sleep researcher. They will always say the same like six or seven words like I had the most amazing dream last night and <laughs> invariably it's the most boring dream ever. But maybe people don't tell me their dreams often, but I kind of like it. 
But um, there actually is a reason why we think these dreams are boring, right? Yeah, there's there's three reasons. <laughs> hmm. So there's also, because like why we, so it also ties up to why we, we're so eager to tell people our dreams. Um, so one of the reasons we find it's so interesting is because of the negative negativity bias that we have. So negative negativity bias is when something is equally good or equally bad, the equally bad thing has more of an effect on us. Um, and so because, um, a lot of, like a lot of the dreams that you remember and, and you want to share are negative because they have this, this bigger effect on us. So that's one of them. But when we have the experience of the dream, um, when we're retelling that, that's not conveyed. Like the people, you know, you're not telling your mate, oh my God, I had this dream. And I was just like terrified that they don't, they're not feeling that. So they're not having that same impact from it. Um, Another reason is because our dreams um, are mainly just emotional. So a lot of the dreams, when you think about it, the stories are more driven by the emotions. So if Mm -hmm. you're having like an anxiety dream, it's more just like a a feeling of anxiety and then the images kind of come second. It's not like, oh, I felt fine and then a scary thing jumped out. It's like constant, constant Mm -hmm. anxiety. Um, and so when we feel that, that emotion, it feels really important to us, which of course makes sense. Um, but again, when you're telling someone that they didn't experience that feeling. So again, really boring. (laughs) Um, and then (laughs) another thing is, um, because a lot of our dreams, we don't understand, it just gives that sense of curiosity within us because we're always interested in things that we don't understand. That's where curiosity comes from. Um, but that's not conveyed in, in telling the dream. So if you want to tell someone a dream and have them interested, you need to try and um, make it seem really dangerous, <laughs> express that emotion and, and like make it exciting and strange. So I don't know how I would tell your basketball silhouette story. but I mean, also for me, I guess the thing was that it was interesting for me because I was like, oh, my God, you're talking about me. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I guess that's also one of the main reasons that, I mean, all humans are pretty egocentric at the end of the day. Um, so hearing about someone else's dream, it will probably it will probably be completely meaningless, too, since most of my dreams are like I was in my my mom's house, but it was actually like a farm in Ethiopia. And then this pig came, but the pig was really <laughs> my, my cousin. And <laughs> like this Is that kind a of dream thing. you had? No, but that's like the, the tone of most of the dreams that I do have is, is like okay. something like you could be in my dream, even though, and I know that it was Beth who was there, but you were in a different body. Like you were in Margot Robbie's body, but you were but you were you, you know? That was me. Yeah, okay. Um, you can probably, um, my tone of my dreams are like very emotional and full on and dramatic and like, you know, yeah, beautiful yeah. dancing poses. But I think, I think that would, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so, so when we're talking about like the actual content of dreams, um, what's interesting, what actually was interesting when I was looking into this stuff was that I, as we just discussed, like most of the dreams that I feel like I remember are very bizarre. Um, Mm -hmm. But apparently this actually is kind of depends on what time of the night you're waking up. 
Um, and right. before we maybe get into this, I, I didn't mention at the beginning, but I'll talk about your sleep stages, which Beth thinks is riveting. So <laughs> there are four. So, so I, <laughs> so just I can never sit through this. Like I can never read through the whole thing. I don't know why. I just find it. Anyway, so we're going to do, do the quick abbreviated version. So there are four stages okay. of sleep. There are two. The first two stages are like light sleep. So in this period, your brain waves kind of shift into being kind of more random um, and you're kind of drifting into your light sleep. Then in your second stage of sleep, um, you have this kind of rapid brain activity that starts to happen. That's called like sleep spindles which um, if you look at the electric signals of your brain is kind of just these little spindles. So like really fast little spurts of activity. Um, and you're very asleep at this point, but you could still be woken up pretty easily. Then when you get to the third stage, um, you get this brain activity called delta waves, which is a different type of um, kind of oscillation. And that's when you're in deep sleep. And finally you reach um, the REM phase of sleep. So Yes, REM, named after the band. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, so then you're in this phase, your motor cortex. So the the areas of the brain that usually control movement, they're actually super active. Um, but in this phase of sleep, the brainstem is kind of blocking that information. So your muscles stay relaxed and you're basically paralyzed, um, except for your eyes. So that will kind of come in handy later on when we talk about um, some research and that's actually where the stage gets its name from because it's rapid eye yeah. movement sleep and so this yeah. cycle actually repeats like every 90 minutes so all of our listeners today Beth and I if you got a good night's rest last night then you had probably three to five very vivid dreams even if you don't remember them so everyone dreams even if you don't remember these dreams um, and the the idea of like the bizarreness of the dreams coming into it. Um, this mm -hmm. has actually been researched. So contrary to what we've been talking about and what Beth said about her dreams, um, usually <laughs> we're dreaming actually pretty normal things. So they're kind of continuations of our daily life. Um, Beth did not yeah. see me dancing in Amsterdam. <laughs> and if she had, I don't think it would have been as beautiful as she said it was. But um, <laughs> so... There was, there was kind of a first study done on this in the early 2000s. Um, and probably if you're listening to this, you might be able to relate to the idea that when you're playing a video game or something like Tetris, or if you're skiing maybe, um, or playing some kind of intense repetitive um, game, often when you go yeah. to sleep, you close your eyes. And if you're playing Tetris, you kind of see those Tetris blocks falling and you're kind of trying to play. For me, I had this effect very intensely when I was like maybe 10 or 11 and I had a Mario Kart game on Wii <laughs> and I would just, yeah, every night was me playing Mario Kart, which was pretty cool. Um, but some profs at Harvard actually did a study on this using both Tetris and a game called Alpine Racer, which is like a full body um, skiing game. Yeah. And um, they found that when they woke people up, just a couple minutes into their first REM cycle phase, um, participants were really kind of having these dreams that were exactly as what they were doing in the day. So they were playing Tetris or they were just replaying Alpine Racer. Okay. Um, but then later in the night, as the night went on, um, they kind of ended up 
saying things that were kind of similar, but were definitely getting more bizarre. So people would report yeah. that they were sliding down a slope, um, but, you know, that their mom was in the corner or <laughs> right. that they were they were kind of skiing down a hill, but, you know, a monster was appearing, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the idea is that at the beginning of the night, there is this idea that you're kind of collecting the residue of the day and just kind of going over it in your first mm-hmm. phase of REM. And then later on, you're you've you've already kind of seen the pattern of the day and then you're bringing um, other kinds of associations into it and you're just kind of trying to maybe do some problem solving. Um, And that's when you could kind of have these insights. So it really does depend when you wake up, what kind of, when you wake up during the night, what kind of dreams you might feel like you have. And is it true that if you wake up, during a dream like so what determines when we remember a dream um apparently it's really just basically the only way that you can remember a dream is if you wake up when while you're having the dream okay yeah so I guess even that could be like super great because I feel like I have dreams that I don't remember wake but I guess you can wake up for a second or something that's, I mean, I'm not totally sure, but it seems like from, from what I was reading, it seems like that's, that's how it works. Like the only way that the, the dream could kind of be consolidated from short-term memory into long-term memory is if you wake up yeah. and have that kind of process. Otherwise, and you have, yeah. yeah, but it is true that, um, like a method of being able to remember your dreams better is writing them down. So maybe if you're used to remembering your dreams, right. then you could get better at remembering them but I think it's kind of because you're then if you're if you're making a lot of effort to remember these dreams you might kind of be signaling that that's an important thing for you to remember but it's actually true that I'm not sure whether you would actually be having to wake up right after those dreams yeah um yeah and how Ava just before mentioned that you know when you get to these later stages you start um maybe more problem solving in the dream so there's so there's basically within dream research a lot of different theories for why we have dreams. Um, and we were talking before we found when we were doing the research. I don't know. I haven't really looked up something before where there's just like all these like really broad theories and like nothing. I It was that, you know, from different people. So, and it didn't, like they were similar, but nothing really tied together. And I feel like the other stuff of research, it hasn't been so much that way. So that's a interesting thing about the dream research field but one of the theories is why we dream and this is from a professor from harvard i'm going to destroy this name deidre barrett Mm -hmm. um and they well they they actually have this like nice paper where they say like you know this whole thing about why do we dream why do we dream like it's the same question of like what is why do we think so they don't they don't believe that dreams are like this I don't know, this extra special function. It's like the same, like we think we dream. It's the mm-hmm. same. And if we're going to ask, you know, we should also ask why we think. So in this paper, they um, talk, so they think that one of the functions it serves as thinking does as well is problem solving. And they list all, which I really liked um, looking at, all the things like the artists and people who say that they had this, you know, their work come to them in a, gra- in, in a dream. So famous example you guys probably have heard about a lot is Paul McCartney yesterday. He woke up 
and he had the song in his head and he was like, this is so good. It must, he must have heard it somewhere. And he like asked his lawyer, like, oh, does this have copyright? And they're like, no. And because he really feels like he just, he just dreamt it. Um, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein, a lot of that she dreamt up. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so like Dali, obviously a lot of his work, he just felt came to him in dreams. So this professor thinks that's like one of the main, um, one of the main functions of dreams. So they ran this study where, um, to, so they think that the reason that people have these like creative moments during their dreams is it's just like an extension of thinking during the day about it. So it's not like mm-hmm. this profound experience which just comes to you. It's like, well, no, you've been working on that and it makes sense because you just keep going. So they did this study where they, um, they got these students to try and solve problems that they had with their dreams. So kind of cool. So it's this thing called dream incubation. So before you go to sleep, you think about the problem that you have. So I've got an example of one here. So one of the students had the problem. So just, it has to be a personal one. It makes like people, there is research showing people like can solve like logic problems and stuff in their dreams. But if it's personal, you kind of get these cool, these cool responses. So the student had the problem. I applied to to clinical psychology programs and to in industrial psychology. What what's industrial psychology? Just, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Side note, um, it's kind of like organizational psychology. Like you would be working as a psychologist in industry, so like kind of like HR, I guess. Oh, if there are any industrial psychologists out there who think that's wrong, please let us know. But that's that's how I understand it, at least. Okay, well then now I get this problem. <laughs> We're learning things with you on our podcast. Um, and this person just can't decide which field they want to go into. I clearly did not read this <laughs> well enough. <laughs> so anyway, they're thinking about this before they go to bed. And then this is a dream they have, a map of the United States, and I'm in a plane flying over this map. The pilot says we're having engine trouble and we need to land. We look for a safe place on the map indicated by a light. I ask about Massachusetts, which is we're right over, but he says that all of Massachusetts is very dangerous and the light seems to be further west. This is a dream the person has. So then this is a solution that they found through the dream to their problem. So solution, I woke up and I realized that my two clinical schools are both in Massachusetts where I've spent my whole life and my parents live. Both industrial programs are far away in Texas and California. This is because I was originally looking to stay close to home and there were no good industrial programs nearby. I realized that there is a lot wrong with staying at home. And as funny as it sounds, getting away is probably um, more important than which kind of program I go into. Hmm. So this this study is kind of cool because it's all these kind of um, yeah, there's the they he lists all of them and they're all kind of like this and they have these um, dreams and they can interpret how it helped them solve the problem. Um, and the professor also says that there's reasons why um, dreams help you find sol- like these kind of solutions that you think outside the box. And it's because um, when you're dreaming in the REM sleep, the prefrontal cortex is not as active. 
So we don't, so we don't quickly censor out. So normally we'd have an idea and our prefrontal cortex will be like, no, that's not the way to do it or, or those kind of things. But we don't have that. So we're more open and suggestive to like these kind of things. Um, and another thing is dreams help us visualize a solution and the um, secondary visual cortex that's associated with imagery is more active during REM than when we're awake. So it helps us with these with these images so that's one and I think pretty um appealing theory to why so like dreaming is just like different thinking (laughs) yeah yeah I think that that is kind of an interesting idea because it's just kind of this different way in which your brain is connected so as Beth mentioned your your prefrontal cortex which is kind of responsible for logic um planning that's much less active and other areas are kind of turned on more. Um, so it's kind of like you're, I don't know, almost putting the same sorts of inputs, although obviously you're asleep, um, so you don't really have external input, but then the way that that machinery is going is just kind of churning things out a bit differently just because the connections are a bit different. Um, yeah, and it explains why you know people report having these like amazing creative ideas during sleep. It's because different parts, you know, you're not having the judgment that you do and you're able to have more visual stuff. And that's, you know, think of all like the amazing paintings that that come through people's dreams. Yeah. I guess something that makes me kind of like skeptical about these things in terms of um, like decision-making, obviously I I completely understand that people do have these sorts of um, breakthroughs in dreams, Mm -hmm. but um, and I, I do understand, of course, with art that, you know, that makes sense. And if you can translate it, that's great. But with decisions, because it's like, you're taking a decision that you would, that affects your life when your brain is awake. So when your brain is normally connected and then the kind of solution that you come to with something like choosing the school that you're going to be at and like where <laughs> you're going to live, that's something that you're you're choosing to follow the insight that you had when your brain was differently connected. So while I think that it's really interesting, like I guess it I guess it would just vary from person to person on how much you would trust those things. Kind of like I guess maybe insights that people also have when they're on psychedelics um, or other. Yeah, I was gonna say it's um, when I was reading this. It's, it's similar to that research, but. I guess if you're someone who has a lot of anxiety and this kind of thing, I mean, I mean, that usually doesn't make your dreams so great, but all right, just say you have a lot of anxiety that stops you from making decisions throughout the day because of your, because of your anxiousness and you don't have nightmares. So I don't know how many people that is, then maybe the solutions that someone like that comes up with, because they're not blocking it through Mm. those kind of judgments. I think, yeah, I think that that would make sense why. That could, yeah, but I, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, well, we need to have those judgments for a reason too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I think it's interesting this idea of like really having decision making, um, almost taken over by your sleep life, in in this kind of sense. Um, yeah. But actually, there there is research now that we're talking about it that actually suggests um, that there are kind of other outcomes besides just like transferring one-to-one the decision that you came to in a dream to real life so um Mm -hmm. and ways that dreams can actually be kind of beneficial 
um, to your waking life. So um, Rosalind Cartwright did a study in the 2000s, I think, on women who are suffering from depression um, after getting a divorce from their ex-partners. And she found that women who actually dreamt about their ex-partners ended up being less depressed later on. So having more dreams about your partner predicted less depression. Um, so it kind of seems like counterintuitive in a sense because you'd think yeah. like, if you're dreaming so much about your ex, how will you get over them? Um, but the idea is that people who kind of incorporate that stress in their dreams, they're able to work through it and allow for some type of healing. So I guess I'm in... And to me, that kind of makes more sense because it's more of an emotional problem to work through, which may be, you know, insight um, and seeing things differently and kind of being able to regestalt a situation and see it from a different um, facet that could really help mm-hmm. with like your your emotional life. But mm-hmm. the decision making, I don't know. I just I just feel like <laughs> I don't know why that's making me feel like I don't know, because I just feel like if I if I thought something crazy in one second, I would be like. Mm, I don't know if that's going to apply. Like I would definitely have to think about it more, but maybe sometimes things are crystal clear for other people. Um, yeah. And also the same thing with smoking. So they also did a study on um, people who are trying to quit smoking and they found that people who dreamt about smoking were more likely to stay off it later on. Really? Yeah. So dreams, 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 they let you <laughs> heal. Um and one other thing that kind of is related to problem solving, but more in, a, in like a evolutionary sense that I found really interesting is that um, so the REM stage of sleep actually developed um, with when mammal, mammals developed. So actually mm-hmm. most mammals do have dreams. And if you have a dog, like you've probably seen your dog. They have, yeah. Yapping away and like <laughs> chasing something. Um, so, um, so all mammals do dream. And um, the way that this was kind of discovered was, I think this prof is also at Harvard, but he's, he's a biologist. Um, his name's Matthew Wilson, and he was monitoring how neurons were firing in the rat mm-hmm. brain. So if you've, if you've ever kind of seen a video of how they monitor this, um, it's kind of like you can actually hear the neuron firing. So you can hear when the neuron is going off. And so this researcher was just super used to being in the lab and kind of hearing these neurons firing. Um, and so much so that kind of like in the matrix, you know, there's that scene where, (laughs) where they're, where they're looking at the code and one of the characters says like, I don't even see the code. I just see blonde brunette, whatever. And, um, so this, (laughs) this prof, he was saying that when he was in the lab, if he, if he could hear the, the neurons firing, he wouldn't even hear the code. He would just basically hear what they were doing. So he could hear whether they were asleep or whether they were eating or whether they were going through the maze. To each rat, like he knew which rat it was, like that's scampy. I don't know if he (laughs) knew which rat it was, but he could tell what activity they were doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, But so they, at the same time that they were, that they were doing this, they were training rats to learn a maze, which is a pretty common Mm -hmm. experiment with rats. Um, And he knew that this rat was asleep but then suddenly he heard the rat running through the maze and he was like, that's weird. And then he turned around and the rat was still asleep. And that's when they kind of found out that, you know, this rat was like fully going that's through exactly so cool. the same maze. So it was exactly the yeah. same firing pattern repeated in the rat's sleep. Oh, that's um, awesome. So there's this idea that there is kind of this replay, but then when they gave rats two mazes to run through during the day, they found that when the rats were sleeping, they began to kind of invent, invent like these new mazes. So they were fusing the two <gasps> mazes together. Um, so yeah, it kind of comes with this idea of like problem solving 
and learning and figuring out these rules and connections to right. help us create kind of something new. And that's present even in rats. So, <laughs> um, but that's, that's, I think, an argument for the fact that I think that, you know, dreams, because when I talking about why, why we dream, one, one of the kind of theories is that it's just kind of a side effect of something else. So it happens right. just because, um, just because some other chemical reactions have to happen. Some people argue that we just dream so that our brains can stay healthy so that our brains don't totally mm-hmm. shut down. But I mean, if these rats are fully repeating what happened during the day um, and then fusing things together, it does seem like a problem solving thing. Yeah. Cause there's another theory, which aspects of it is similar to this problem solving theory, but it's the threat stimulation theory. And it's mm-hmm. by a Finnish psychiatrist. Um, he's at the, University of Finland, I think. And it um it's basically an evolutionary argument for dreaming. And it's just we practice how to behave in threatening situations. And I I was like, oh okay, well that's not very interesting. But one of the things that they <laughs> we've, we've been hating on this research a little bit. We were we yeah, were expecting sorry. a lot from this research actually. We I think we we yeah, we were excited that it was gonna be cool. But um so, and the, but one of the things that they do show for this is that we do dream of like threats that we had when like we were cavemen. So it's like falling, being chased, natural disasters. And these elements are like overrepresented in our dreams. Um, mm. And we see them more in our dreams than our day-to-day life would predict. Like that's what we often have. And, and that is something that we would have had to learn how to respond to in order to survive. Like what will we do in these situations? Um, the same like um, animals chasing chasing you and this happens more in children and like if you were growing up young in caveman times, <laughs> you would need to know how to run away from, from that. But then we don't really have dreams of modern threats. So you don't really have a dream that you have a heart, a heart attack or something like that, you know, and, and mm. they, these are more threats that we face today than being chased down by an animal. Um, so I thought that, that, I mean, that, I guess that, yeah. But then it doesn't really explain. Well, I guess it could kind of explain the problem-solving, like nature of our dreams a bit. Like, yeah, I think that the problem-solving and the this idea of like threat rehearsal are kind of different. But at the same time, you could also argue that you know dreams are if you do argue that dreams are just trying to prepare you for certain eventualities, I think it's really interesting actually that, that we do dream more about like certain, I think they, they refer to them in literature as like primitive threats more than we would actually encounter them during the day. Like that does seem to show that um, there is something kind of driving that that's more primitive, let's call it. Um, But yeah, if you're just trying to prepare yourself for any kind of threat and eventuality, um, and any kind of like emotionally intense problem, um, I think the problem solving kind of does make sense to come into it because also, you know, people are are really dreaming about things that cause them emotional distress or something emotional yeah. in the day. So I, I don't think that those theories are necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, I think they kind of go together in the sense that this primitive stuff is maybe the basis of of why we dream, but 
you know, we do have other problems now. And I think a lot yeah, of dreams also feature just other people because that's, yeah. you know, that's where most of our threats and rewards lie nowadays. Um, yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, there was a study that looked at that looked at this idea of like emotional events during the day um, and your REM phase of sleep. And what they did in the study was that they had people fill out um, diaries. So they had sleep diaries and they had like regular day-to-day diaries. And they found that participants who during the day had more entries in their diaries that were more emotional um, in the REM phase of their sleep, the waves, the theta waves that were kind of going off during that phase, they were more intense. So people who had a lot going on in their lives emotionally, they had more intense dreams as well and something that they that they suggest in this paper that seems I'm sorry I'm the skeptic but seems a little bit like woo-woo-y to me still because I haven't (laughs) seen like the the full research on this although it's interesting was that they proposed that you know from all this research we've been talking about about how when you do dream about things it kind of helps you heal and helps you alleviate some of that stress they were suggesting um to kind of help people dream more and kind of induce this healing more to have this therapeutic idea of of when people are sleeping making these theta waves become induced more intensely through like binaural <laughs> beats have you heard of that i know there's I a lot haven't, of- what, i i think i kind of know it's like just is it just beats <laughs> yeah it's beats i think at a specific frequency that are supposed to like induce these theta waves and i don't know there's a lot of youtube playlists of like is there research on this though? I think there is some research on it. I don't think that it's very conclusive yet, but I think that there is maybe something to it. And that that's also, you know, something that we've been like kind of implicitly discussing sort of throughout this podcast is that like the research on dreams is all a bit like not as, um, what's the word? Not as robust, perhaps, as we thought that it would be and not as as tight scientifically. Um, yeah. But honestly, it's it is super hard to study because, you know, if you're putting if you're putting someone in the fMRI, or you're putting them in EEG cap while they're sleeping. You kind of have to take this indirect look at their sleep. And otherwise, you're relying on people's self-reports, which if you've ever woken up from a dream and try to explain it probably doesn't go <laughs> very well. So, um. Yeah, I also was surprised how, like, honestly, researching conspiracy theories, it was more clear on, like, what we were finding than, and I thought that, like, oh, that would be harder than this. And it also felt like this is just, like, research in all different directions. And it just feels like, so in a lot of fields, so many things come together and, like, people from different universities are collaborating and all this stuff. And these stream stuff just feel like people just going off on their own, their own things. They're just, you know. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really come across that in a, in a area before. Yeah. Honestly, we, like we might be wrong. Also, we, we do, we, yeah. you know, we, we look into stuff before we record this, but it's not like we've exhausted all of the dream research that exists, but definitely, um, yeah, it, 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 we must admit that it felt different, um, in terms of the research that we were looking at this time. Although I know that every time we say the research is shaky, um, but <laughs> this time it really did feel shaky. But something to know also is that um, there is a lot of research on sleep. So there's a lot of research on sleep and cognition yeah. and inflammation and stuff like that, um, which kind of encompasses all of the phases of sleep. 
and sleep obviously is super important. We all know that your grandma tells you that, you know? Um, but yeah, this, this stuff on dream specifically and like the REM cycle specifically are kind of shaky. Um, um, well, I do have another, another theory for dreams. Mm-hmm. It's our third one now. So this is called activation synthesis theory. And it's also by some psychiatrists at Harvard, but it was developed in 1977. And they think that all dreams are is just um, interpretations of um, how our brain is interpreting like the random activity from our sleep. So they say that what, why dreams are so weird, it's because it's just trying to interpret like all this chaotic random stuff going on in the brain when we sleep. And they say that because the older parts of our brain are like the, where all our emotions are, um, it's like this, like it's activating emotions in us. And then we're trying to put imagery to that. So it's kind of like the, it's kind of like, yeah, it's just like random stuff is going on. And then we're trying to put something to that, to that emotion. That's just like come about from this. Yeah random random activation in the brain through sleep um and there are people who yeah feel that this is this is like the there's people still working on on this theory um yeah but i don't know but then again it kind of bits of it kind of also going with the other ones because it's like talking about how the emotion is so important within the dreaming and like the content of the dreams yeah I think I think that is kind of interesting um, in terms of this idea that I think, you know, people often have about like interpretation of your dreams. Um, yeah. And I think this theory kind of goes hand in hand with what I would assume most um, psychiatrists and, and psychotherapists are, are doing now um, with dream interpretation, which is basically that you know, images themselves don't actually mean anything. So you can't like go to a book and the book will tell you, you know, what your dream means. Um, but rather you kind of have to think, okay, what what does that represent for me and how was I feeling in that dream? Um, yeah. And so I think that kind of does go with the idea that um, the imagery maybe is secondary to the emotion in these dreams. And when you're thinking about the imagery in the dream, you do have to think, okay, what does it mean to me? Because for example, I'm not the best with animals. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like if I'm walking on the street and a dog touches me, I get very scared. Like I, I had some traumatic experiences as a very small child with dogs and stuff. So if there was a dog in my dream, I'm sure it would mean something different than if there was a dog in yeah. Beth's dream. Um, yeah. So that's to say, if you were hoping to find any answers about what your dreams mean here, um, <laughs> you probably isn't. won't. But I think, you know, it's really just, it comes from you. So, and probably would be better if you had a therapist with you. But, you know, if you're thinking, <laughs> my teeth are falling out, what does it mean? I think this theory points to yeah. the fact that a really um, helpful thing to look at is how did that make you feel? And do you have something else in your life that's making you feel the same way that could be making you feel the same way? Um, yeah, because initially, like, you know, in the early, early when people used to look at dreams, it was like, oh, this image means you're feeling this and this like a lot of the stuff with Freud and things. So initially that is how we were taught to think about dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but yeah, the imagery doesn't actually mean, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. 
Okay, despite all of what we just said that like the imagery doesn't mean anything, <laughs> there's actually there's actually like an interesting study um, that just came out in, in August, I think, um, from Alessandro Fogli and some of his his um, collaborators that use this new method of like automated text analysis. So these are essentially kind of like algorithms that can mine data like text data to pick on like to pick up on patterns and themes. And so using like this, text data is in like in books or like so um, they took data from something called the Dream Bank, which is like twenty four thousand people's dreams. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. twenty four thousand people or twenty four thousand dreams, um, okay. but a, a huge number that you cannot really analyze if you're, you know, just a few researchers. Um, yeah, definitely not. Um, so they used this tool by, and they kind of validated it by using the tool and seeing how the tool analyzed the dreams versus looking at like hand annotated dreams. So that just means like scientists or, um, therapists were annotating the dreams themselves. Um, that essentially they were picking up on the stressors that were present in the dreams, like the characters in the dreams, um, the emotions and the place in the dreams. Yeah. And so they found that this machine or like this algorithm worked um, three quarters of the time. So it matched up with what the um, experts were saying three quarters of the time, which is not perfect, but it's like a pretty promising signal right. for like a yeah. first um, try at this. And so they argue that this system could kind of help psychologists um, identify like what they call outlier dreams. So dreams that mm-hmm. are... Um, kind of strange in a way or that feature characters or scenarios that are more extreme um, that could cause potential sources of like um, intense stress or mental health issues potentially. Yeah. So the idea is like comparing scores um, within each dream to like averages across people with no reported psychiatric conditions could like actually really help um, identify potential issues. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's – and I guess also maybe even though – they're writing about the imagery. I mean, maybe in this also they're talking about their feelings. Like, you know, maybe in these dream dream bank things, people also have written about how they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But one thing also, one issue with this um, is that, um, as we mentioned, like dreams are hard to study. And one of the reasons is this issue with like self-report, not only because people <laughs> are bad at self-report, but also because depending on who you are, you're used to reporting things differently. So, for example, like women usually report more intensely emotional dreams um, in the sense yeah. of them like just using more emotional words to describe the dreams, which doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that the dreams were any more intense. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. So that could also potentially cause issues by just like applying this tool kind of willy nilly, which yeah. is which is like an issue with AI in general, I would say, which is a whole <laughs> different episode. Um <laughs> But one one last thing that I do want to talk about um, with this idea of dreams is maybe the most woo-woo-y of all. <laughs> um, or maybe not, but it's this idea of lucid dreaming. So um, I don't know. Have you have you ever had a lucid dream, Beth? Do you, do we I'm know? confused. Like I, to be honest, can you explain to me exactly what yeah. it is? So a lucid dream is basically a dream that is characterized by two things. Um, But I think mostly really one thing, which is that you are aware that you're dreaming. So the first thing is that you have this awareness. And the second thing is that you might be able to have control over your dream to whatever degree. So some people, when they lucid dream, they report being able to do literally whatever they want, like build cities 
like have yeah. a cake, whatever they want. Um, other people are just aware that they're in the dream, but it still counts as a lucid dream if you know that you're dreaming. Definitely have been aware I've been dreaming, have not been able to build any cities. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, but these types of dreams, they've they've kind of attracted a lot of attention from maybe the the more fringe <laughs> The more out there parts of the scientific very old frame researchers. I yeah, feel like. No, I mean I've like I I've I learned about this stuff because one of my profs at the University of Toronto when I was doing my undergraduate degree yeah. loved it, like obsessed with it. When we we had a class on consciousness and he was just talking about lucid dreams for half the class. Um but essentially these types of dreams, um, they've been reported to help with a lot of things. So as, as we've been talking about, dreams in general can kind of help you heal and deal with certain issues that you might face. Um, and one thing that we didn't actually talk about was that um, people who suffer from PTSD, obviously they went through something really right. traumatic. Um, and as we said, um, you're probably going to go through the most emotional moments of your day when you're dreaming. So most of the time people with PTSD do relive their traumas um, in their dreams. Yeah. And they're the only populations that actually live the event as it happened. So nothing extra weird going wow. on. Um, so they really do kind of relive that situation. So it's suggested, um, and some research has been done on this, that for patients with PTSD, because when you lucid dream, you are sometimes able to gain control of the dream, that if you can train <laughs> people to do this, that... Patients with PTSD can, in their dreams, basically give themselves therapy. So they'll be in the situation and then they will be able to change either everything about the situation or just even one small thing. And that has been shown to have like really intense therapeutic benefits. Um, So so people are excited about it. I've got a lot of questions. Yes. (laughs) Um, So a therapist telling them, like, I I don't know, are they getting guided on how to navigate the dream or is this just? Yeah, so so people, yeah, I mean, maybe people are doing this as like a home (laughs) remedy technique, but um, there are some researchers who are um, working on this, um, who are, and who also have like programs that you can do to teach yourself lucid dreaming and there are techniques that you can use um, that will be able to train you up to be able to lucid dream. And this is done in like a therapeutic context. So it's not just like randomly just relive <laughs> your trauma and do whatever you want. Um, but I also just wonder, like, um, I, I just feel like the responsibility. Okay. First of all, what, how, so you change something how can you predict what the outcome is going to be for you? Like, will it, will it be worse? Like what I don't, who's sitting there deciding, okay, in your lucid dream, do this and this traumatic event will change for you in this way. And like, how can anyone know that? And how can anyone know what the, like, I don't, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That, no, no, no. That's, that's a super good point. And it's also something that I feel very sort of confused about in, with lucid dreams um, because because there's this idea of control. So sometimes people really can control everything that's going on in their dreams. But it does feel weird because if you're living some sort of narrative, you wouldn't think that you'd be able to control every part of the narrative. Um, right. And you're actually touching on something that is a big issue, which is that um, this 
this research came out um, a couple, I think maybe even this year, um, a couple months ago, um, from Neri Software Tudek, who who argues um, that there's the, a lot of hype about lucid dreaming, um, but kind of like the stuff that we were talking about with meditation, there's not enough attention paid to like the fact that a lot of these studies, first of all, don't really work, and second of all, sometimes have worse outcomes. Yeah. So um, even not necessarily with PTSD itself, but um, just in general with people who are trying to learn how to lucid dream, like who are deliberately trying to induce these lucid right. dreams, um, this is actually sometimes associated with sleep problems, stress, mm-hmm. dissociation, even like obsessive compulsive symptoms. So these really right. kind of intense issues. Um, and if you go on YouTube and look for people who are trying to learn how to lucid dream, it seems really awful because, you know, some of the methods are just, you know, keep a dream diary, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also one of the things that's supposed to really help is like setting an alarm at like three in the morning when you're 30 or 40 minutes away from your REM stage of sleep, which can yeah. just totally disturb your sleep and make it so that, you know, you you actually can't really even go back to sleep and you're still not having lucid dreams. Um And another issue with this is this idea of like control and awareness. So Mm -hmm. if you're lucid dreaming, sometimes, sometimes when people just realize that they are aware, they then wake up. So, you know, it's not really that helpful. And most people who do have lucid dreams actually only report being in control like around 20% of the time. So that seems almost scary. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then, I don't know, I'm just thinking, like, if you are (laughs) in control of the dream, so you're in, I don't know, like, so you're in control, obviously, of your actions within the dream, but then you're in control of, like, the whole environment. I don't know, like, so is it, I don't know, I'm just, I think I'm stuck on the, how that can, because is that even the same dream then, if you're (laughs) reliving it through a, like, I don't yeah, yeah, some people, so some people do kind of argue for this idea that, you know, lucid dreams are this amazing kind of playground where you can just, if you have full control, you can experiment with anything you want. So basically what we were talking about in terms of benefits of dreaming, but um, scaled up to a level where you're fully conscious of what's going on. So you're able right. to take really take those experiences with you in a different way and also consciously manipulate the experiences and um as we were talking about before like practice things that you want to do in normal life or that maybe you can't even do in normal life um but yeah I think mostly yeah it seems that people don't actually have full control over their dreams um but there are but I think it's almost similar to you could argue that it's similar to like a VR experience where maybe you're putting someone Uh, who has PTSD, who's a veteran in, like, a situation where they're in war or something, so putting them in a virtual environment where that's happening, but then changing what happens in the end, that can kind of help just to to change um, the ending of of their trauma. But I think the idea of, like, being in control of it also can be really therapeutic, but it's unclear whether it actually works. Um, Yeah, and, like, the... the ability to be able to because like in the vr example we manufacture the ending yeah. <laughs> like but in your dream like i just don't know how you're like 
how you're gonna manufacture that yeah it seems and pretty volatile you, you, like, <laughs> yeah definitely. seems risky <laughs> yeah that's definitely true I think it, it sometimes feels like it's sort of equated to like um psychedelic work with like PTSD and stuff but all the same issues with dream research apply to therapy which is that like you can't really observe what's happening and the therapist kind of has to let go much more quickly than you would with like something like psychedelics where you're always going to be in the room and you can have kind of yeah. a direct influence over what's happening um but yeah there's I mean it's just so weird that there's just like so many weird theories about it like my prof from undergrad he was like <laughs> he was arguing in our class that the because because sometimes in lucid dreams you have conversations with another person mm-hmm. which also kind of brings up this idea of like if you're fully in control then how can you be having a conversation with someone else I was gonna say you're having a conversation you? with yourself yeah so my professor he argued that we weren't actually having a conversation with ourselves we were having conversations with like a different consciousness like a fully different consciousness a full different like mm-hmm. the consciousness connected to you or where's the consciousness well the idea was that even in class when he explained it I was confused so I'm gonna try guys but um (laughs) the idea was that when so when you're lucid dreaming um another characteristic of these dreams is that they're like super real like they are intensely real and you can like bang on you know a table and it's hard and um everything is super hd and crisp and like but intense in a way that normal dreams kind of aren't um, mm-hmm. to the point where like people, they can't tell whether they're sleeping or awake at all. Um, mm-hmm. But one technique also to like be able to tell, there are a few things that you can do to be able to tell whether you're asleep or not. One is that if there's a light switch and the lights are on, if you're dreaming, you can't turn the lights off. Like your brain just can't do it. So your brain, really? yeah, your brain won't let you turn the lights off. Okay. Um, Another thing is uh, if you have like a glass or something and you want to break it, yeah. you try to smash a glass on the floor. Um, if you're dreaming or if you're lucid dreaming, the glass will kind of just like stop in midair and then you might see some pieces and then it will be broken. So your your brain doesn't have the resolution to to create oh, like that. Like all of the glass shattering. Like your brain can't do that. So it just goes from like being there to being broken. Yeah. Um, so that's ways to test if you're dreaming. If you want to try it out, don't blame us if you break something. Um, but yeah, so so the idea is that when you are lucid dreaming, um, because you have to have this extra level of consciousness in terms of awareness, um, and everything sharpens up, right? Um, so if you're standing there and you're in a dream and then you suddenly realize that you're dreaming, everything goes into like this HD quality and apparently something characteristic of lucid dreams is also that the number of characters in your dreams um, gets reduced. So there might be 10 mm-hmm. people around and then it becomes two. Is that because we can't, like our brains can't have that, like we can't construct that many other people? I think I think it's unclear, but I think it's okay. probably something like that. But my prof, <laughs> I don't know if he was a real <laughs> proponent of this, but he argued that that was because these were like, Full, like real consciousnesses that were like apart from your ego dream consciousness. Um, <clears throat> so it's still you, but a different you? No, he argued that it was a fully different consciousness. Um, Where did it exist when you weren't lucid dreaming? The idea was that, um, <laughs> it's hard to describe, but it's. I, I wish I had a blackboard that I could show everyone in this audio. 
But the idea was that you kind of have consciousness and like different different kinds of like mounds of consciousness floating around in general and usually they're unified um and when you're dreaming so you kind of if you picture like little mountains of consciousness like kind of floating around it and making up your big consciousness um when you're dreaming the idea is that you have certain areas of the brain that are kind of shut off so Mm -hmm. the level at which the cohesion occurs is moves kind of so it's at a different level so those little mountains that are usually part of one big kind of um formation the line that that holds them together moves up so if you picture it like okay if you picture it like the kind of idea of the iceberg of consciousness except you picture multiple icebergs Mm -hmm. so you would kind of have this big iceberg generally that is above water that's your normal waking consciousness but then when you're dreaming it's kind of like the water level goes up so then you only yeah. see different peaks of consciousness. So one of those mm-hmm. peaks would be your ego, your ego consciousness. So like the ego mm-hmm. in your dream. And then the others are like fully different consciousnesses. That's the idea. I'm not convinced. <laughs> but this was like a full, this was a fourth level class at the University of Toronto. I mean, like, yeah, this seems, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say, but yeah, <laughs> I'm sure if you were there, it was more more appealing. No, I mean, I, I, I honestly didn't understand it. Um, and I still don't. But I do, I must admit that I think about it. I do think about it sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so all this to say basically that this dream research, um, lucid or not, is pretty unclear. And I'd say that dreams kind of serve us in in a very personal way so you're trying to work through your own problems I guess and I think the best course of action is kind of to decide what narrative fits you best so what yeah what works for you yeah yeah so whatever idea you have that you think um that Beth told us about of these different theories whichever you feel like fits best then that's probably what best applies to you honestly um, and also now you guys know how when you're retelling your dreams to make them exciting so people will or listen. just don't do it I feel like that's the main advice just don't do it <laughs> all right okay well let us know if you have a dream about this podcast if it made you feel a type of way that's how we'll know <laughs>